0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 284. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. Welcome along, Brett. Thank you for uh, for joining me. Thank you for having me. How's your, uh, how's your week going? Busy. Yeah,
1: it's always busy, but it's good. Yeah, yeah. Not as good as the weekend, but still good. That's good, that's good.
0: Maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this uh, tech world here in New Zealand. Tech, The big tech
1: world in New Zealand. I work for a large IT uh, organisation called Datacom, and I'm an associate director there. I run a team of about 90-something people, and we do things like digital stuff, mobile stuff, SharePoint, CRM, Salesforce, user experience kind of oriented stuff, platform-based technologies. Yeah, interesting space.
0: Pretty, pretty big company dealing with lots of pretty large organisations around New Zealand and Australia, right?
1: Yeah, so the company's 51, I think, years old. I think it's about 4,500 people worldwide. We operate in 32 countries, and I think uh, we just piped a billion dollars in revenue, uh, NZ dollars in revenue this year, which is pretty amazing. So It is. Yeah, yeah. and privately held, which actually makes for quite an interesting company. Actually, it's very different than the dynamic of working for a large publicly listed organisation.
0: That's cool. That's good. That's yeah. good. Having a ball. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm with a much smaller firm called Gorilla <laughs> Technology. And I also, we have an entity called Cloud Labs. So Gorilla Technology is IT services for a sort of small to medium companies. And Cloud Labs provides uh, predominantly cloud migration services and projects and then global voice media, which is where, uh, where podcasts fits into the picture. Excellent. So that's what's keeping me busy. Well, shall we? Uh, shall we jump in? There's a few uh, a few bits and pieces going on in the in the tech world at the moment, and some you know, some interesting local items. So first up, we've we've been starting to hear what's happening with with the National Party's uh, budget for 2016. What John Key's uh, got coming through, and today from a tech perspective, we're we're hearing about government investment in helping commercialise new Kiwi tech. Businesses. So this came through from um, our Science and Innovation Minister uh, Stephen Joyce. They're talking about this fifteen million dollar figure, and as with everything from the government, you have to drill down to uh, to work out what it's what it's all about. But the I guess the picture is they're they're, um, they're investing over the next four years, and their investment in this area um, is going to be. Uh, moving up to $8.3 million per year. It looks quite interesting. This is tied in with Callahan Innovation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, Callahan Innovation are responsible for running the accelerator programs or a lot of the accelerator programs programs around the country, and I suspect that they will be the conduit, IRA conduit, through which the um, preseed funding flows. Uh, and this is a good thing, I think. I think throwing more money into this in the overall scheme of things, it's a relatively small amount of money. Um, it's in probably very high risk. But I think it's it's a good move, and I you know I think now with particularly with Callaghan Innovation in, in place, and I should disclose that I used to work there, but with Callaghan Innovation in place, the government have got a really good mechanism for getting this funding into market and also measuring the the outputs or the, the success of where they apply those dollars. So
0: yeah, it's good. Yeah, they the the news highlighted that they've estimated that pre the pre seed projects uh, so far uh, that they've been able to uh, support. Have generated um, 188 million in revenue, and obviously that's that's led to a whole bunch of uh, new companies. That those businesses have the potential, so maybe longer term, of generating export revenues in the direction of three billion. So if they can turn small money into big money like that, uh, export wise, then uh, then it makes a fair bit of sense as long as they don't go, um, don't go to uh, to silly over uh, how they throw that money around and, and sometimes governments have been a little bit challenged haven't they in terms of the way they do these investments but it seems that the Callaghan uh, model seems to get things um, maybe more right than uh, than wrong.
1: Yeah I, I think in, in the past it's kind of been the wet spaghetti model and the, a lot of governments have thrown things against the wall just to see what would stick and some of that's worked and, and some of that hasn't. Callahan Innovation is a great conduit through into the marketplace, not not just for services around innovation, but for funding. And I think the focus that they have, the capability they have, and certainly when I was, you know, there, the, the, they've got some amazing people working there, is is a good place to provide. Oh, you know, it's almost a, a good microscope into that community. It's big and it's complex and it moves fast. It's a bit like government. It's big and it's complex, uh, but government doesn't move fast. And yes. So I think Callaghan's kind of that. The gear that connects those two worlds, disparate worlds, up together, and they do a pretty good
0: job of it. Mm. Well, I think the the key thing here is that New Zealand does invest more. We we focus more on taking advantage of the the innovative uh, thinking that we have locally, and that we uh, we get out and and push out into that into that big wide world. We can't make all of our money off. Uh, off cattle anymore can we the 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 dairy industry isn't going to uh to pay for our future forever
1: no well there's companies manufacturing milk and labs and there's companies manufacturing beef and labs and so i'm sure it won't be hard to manufacture lamb and labs and then they'll scale up and then we won't have those primary industries and I don't know. It might be ten years. It might be twenty years. But it won't be 30, 40 or fifty. And, and so we do need to bet on some other things. And we do have a pretty good track record in the in the tech space.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now I'm I'm all for it. So it. Sounds like sounds like good stuff. Gets our vote. There you go. They should do it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Of course, we've got uh, pretty pretty little sway in these. We get we get two votes at the general election though between us. So uh, <laughs> you know. Now onto this UK situation. Now, the headline, the headline is all about the, the pranksters in the UK who uh, they were involved in a fake robbery at the uh, National Portrait uh, Gallery in, uh, in London uh, with a fake, a fake uh, kidnapping at Tate Britain in um, July 2015, all to generate uh, more views on their YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, I was quite intrigued with this story. Um... Yeah, it's, I guess it's the moment of fame thing. I do this presentation occasionally at Auckland University to students, and um, it's kind of, I don't know, life lessons or, you know, for people about to enter the workforce, things to think about. And the first slide that I put up just has a, a few words on it, and, and what it says is, don't be a dick. And I think they failed, these guys failed that test, right? I mean, if you look at what they did, they got so caught up in the whole, look at us, we're cool, Oh, look at the edgy stuff we're doing. They don't. They forget that when you... When you fake a robbery, when you fake a kidnapping, and I think one of the other things they're involved in was faking a, uh, some sort of bomb scare. Yeah, I think it um, was a, a that, bomb hoax, wasn't it? Yeah, you upset people, you, you scare people, they're failing, they don't be a dick test, so they get to spend six months, I think, one or two of them in jail. Have a think about that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, well... They're very contrite at the end of the article, you'll see that they didn't mean to hurt anybody and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but bit late now, so...
0: That's right, and I mean we've we've had these things go on all the time to varying degrees. I think there are a few pranksters in New Zealand that have done things at, at airports and um, you know broken varying laws around what you can and can and can't do at a at an airport. Whether it's pretending to be what a pilot when you're when you're not really a pilot and um, exactly. same uh, test,
1: same failure. Yeah, yeah. Go,
0: going into areas of an airport where you're uh, where you're not legally allowed to uh, to be. You know, the, these fall under this sort of category, and yeah. I guess we've we've got a little bit of a, a challenge, and to stop this stuff, just f- because f- hundreds of thousands of people click the like button doesn't make it right or yeah. smart, <laughs> yeah. right? No, I think the the message will get out there with these these sorts of things, but I don't think it's going to stop immediately. No. But um, you know, <laughs> it's stop. that it's that thing of not saying um, bomb in an airport and yeah. uh, exactly. and on a on a plane and so on, right? So. Uh, Eventually, you you get through after a few of these things have been in the in the media. People uh, people calm down and realise you can't joke about these things. Yes. Yeah, or you can, but there's serious consequences. There's some pretty serious right. con- consequences. Yeah. All right. Now, CNET were reporting on some some technology for mothers and or their uh, oh, yep and babies. Did you have a Did you have a look I, at this one? I did have a quick look at this. It filled me with sadness,
1: to be perfectly <laughs> honest. It's when you look at the site. My initial reaction—I you'd sent it to me, so I assumed it was kosher. But my initial reaction was it was almost, um, you know, not the onion, or it was, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, just go and have a look at the site and make you make, make your own mind up. But it just seemed pretty sad and pretty clinical, and I don't know.
0: So it was the product was called the Four Mums Mamaroo. And basically what it is is a sort of... um, It uh, looks like
1: a repurposed vacuum cleaner um, (laughs) that someone's bolted a little child bassinet thing on the top. That's it. And then connected it up to an app... And it rocks the baby and other stuff like that, and it's just got sad written all over it in big, large letters.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's pretty pretty funny looking. It, yeah. it really is, but um, I the guess kid doesn't
1: look very impressed in the photo either. Actually,
0: no, no. Um, I guess they're they're focused on the desperate parents that have not getting any sleep uh, or any rest, <laughs> like and every other r- parent since yeah, forever. Yeah, true, you know, and, hard uh, <laughs> and hoping that the technology can help. So it basically just. Was it just sort of moves the baby around as though they're uh, a sort of a, a cheap imitation of being held by the parent, right? It's, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and a very budget looking sort of mobile to uh, to try and keep the the baby's mind occupied for a few seconds, and then there's an app to uh, to control it with. So uh, yeah, and then how much would you think some little gadget like this would be? Probably too much to be perfectly honest. Just looking at it, but wasn't it? 270 or yeah, yeah. US dollars or yeah. Something. yeah, 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 270 yeah. US dollars. So, um, it's a bargain, anything so you, you can talk about you know, three to four hundred, uh, yeah, probably about 400 New Zealand dollars. Add on a bit of GST here, and that you'd be in about five hundred dollars if you could get your hands on it here. Yeah, so How long
1: until someone hacks it and does something bad with it. <laughs> the new child
0: abuse, there's an app for that. Mm, mm. So, uh, yeah, the tech world will never cease to amaze us <laughs> with the uh, crazy bits and pieces that are going on. Now, what do you think about Apple investing a um, billion dollars into, uh, into China, into um, Uber's big competitor in China, who are actually uh, doing astoundingly better uh, than Uber are? Uber have a, have a reasonably small slice of the um, car-sharing market in the U.S., and yeah, this this is this is kind of uh, kind of an interesting one. So um, I don't know how you pronounce the company, um, Didi Chuxing. How would you pronounce it, or Didi uh, Chuxing? Chuxing, um, Chuxing. Yeah, so a billion US dollars—that's um, that—that's a pretty major investment in the in the scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's well, it almost it's... chump change for 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 Apple because yeah. they've got. It'd a be like you and bank. I
1: chipping all our money in together and buying a pizza, right? I mean, yeah. that's, in, in the overall scheme of things, <laughs> yeah. that's probably how it would work out. You know, so I could imagine Tim Cook going, "Oh, we got to buy a pizza." All oh, right. So there's a few things. One is they've probably got it sitting in a bank there because they don't want to repatriate it back to the states and pay tax on it. So you've got to do something with it. The, the second thing is that there's probably a cost of doing business in China, you know, good corporate citizen, et cetera, et cetera. It could be a good investment in keeping the market open and available to them, or there's a whole bunch of reasons they might do it. And a billion dollars is a lot of dollars, but for Apple and the overall scheme of things, it's really not.
0: So I don't know. Do you think this has got anything to do with future Apple cars and yeah, and think... so on, or is it is it just them wanting, wanting a piece of that future pie and realising that, so much future profitability in the tech world, um, you know, hangs off what goes on in China and in the Chinese uh, market. So maybe a few astute astute investments in uh, in China will set them up well.
1: Yeah, I think the Apple Car thing is interesting. There's a great article, a website called AboveAvalon dot com, talking about Apple's R and D spending, and and um, this guy predicts that there's a big uh, pivot coming uh, by. From Apple at some stage in the future, they've poached a number of people from the Tesla team or some of the early um, early people early Tesla employees. And if you think about there's a guy by the name of Tony Sieber, who's a, a kind of a tech futurist who specializes particularly in the solar industry and electric vehicle industry. and he he refers to Tesla electric vehicles, and but Tesla's in particular as being iPads on wheels. If you think about them as a technology platform, just happens to drive along the road and not necessarily with human intervention. I'm sure Apple are absolutely fascinated in that market, right? You know, there's only so many handheld devices and other bits and pieces you could sell. If the future is A, electric vehicles and B, autonomous electric vehicles, that's a space that Apple have got vast amounts of money to um, pour into that type of thing. You know, there's huge amounts of IP being created at the moment. You know, obviously, Google self driving cars, but you know, Audi, BMW, Mercedes. All of those people are working on their own technologies. Um, The land grab's happening right now, Um, and this might be an investment by Apple in in that land grab, potentially.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's an area that I think continues to fascinate a lot of people because it's an area that hasn't quite arrived yet, and there have been so many predictions about what the future holds with... Autonomous vehicles—what it means for us in terms of roads—and of course, you know, we've heard the predictions that have said, "Look, we're not going to really need as much road in in the future." Then, something I was reading uh, just in in the last uh, week has suggested actually we might need. Uh, more space on yeah. our on our roads because you know there, there's the situation where if you bring down that cost of transport by a private vehicle, that more and more people will do it. So if you move to autonomous vehicles that you know potentially could cost maybe a quarter of what it costs to get around or, or less today, because most of what you pay to sit in a an Uber or a taxi is around that person's time, then yeah, things could be uh, things could be a lot busier on the roads, which is, is quite curious because, you know, we've been hearing other opinions for a while. And now as, they've, as people have got their heads around things where, you know, we're getting a mix of new opinions. So it's, it's actually, it's really hard to be a, an accurate futurist, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it? yeah. And there's not too many of those around anyway. I, I think the number that always sticks in my head is 4%. That's the average usage of the average car. So people spend many tens of thousands of dollars, often even six figures, to buy cars that are used 4% of their life. The other 96% they sit in a garage or park somewhere, which is just crazy. Waste of resources, a whole bunch of other things. So non-ownership of vehicles, um, sharing of vehicles makes a hell of a lot of sense um, economically. The car manufacturers won't necessarily like it, but um, it makes sense for everyone else. I think on the whole um, how much traffic would there be kind of thing, The numbers I've seen indicate that cars travelling in, I don't know, swarms or flocks or schools or whatever the hell they travel in, I'm Mm, not sure, mm, mm. Um, there'll be some funny term. You can squeeze, because of the ability for them to travel much more closely together without running into each other, which is something humans aren't very good at, Uh, you can squeeze between eight and I think it's about 12 times the amount of traffic through a given point in a given space of time. I actually think the amount of road requirement will go down. You're right about decreasing the price will increase the availability. That's that you know could drive overall traffic volumes up. But the reality is that if we're utilizing cars at fifty percent instead of four, we'll probably need won't even need car parks. Cars will be utilized efficiently and you know won't need to be parked and left ninety six percent of the time or whatever in downtown Auckland. Will we need as many motorways? I doubt it. You know, so I I think the the future's coming, it's gonna be very different. And the, the interesting thing I think of all, most interesting thing of all in this space is this is going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years, max, the switch around. Tony Sieber, that I mentioned before um, in one of his presentations, has these two great photos. One's taken of the same street in New York, one's taken in 1903 and it's gridlocked with horses and carts, and there's one car you can just make out in the photo. And there's a photo taken from pretty much the same vantage point in 1913 and the same street is gridlocked with cars and there's one horse and cart that you can make out. And so New York went from being all about horses and carts to all about cars in 10 years. And actually what drove that wasn't the car per se, it was that Ford invented vehicle financing and made them available to everybody, right? So I think this electric vehicle thing is going to happen way quicker than people expect, or a lot of people expect. And I think the autonomous electric vehicle thing is going to happen much faster than people expect as well.
0: Yeah, Um, I I would agree with that. And I think there there are lots of... Things that probably most people haven't considered yet in terms of how how that will look, you know, I was I was thinking around um, Uber for instance at the moment in in some markets they have you know we call it we call it car sharing but they have actual car sharing where multiple people can get yeah. jump into the same vehicle and now there are well I wouldn't want to get into the car with somebody else well those vehicles might change a little bit so that you jump into your side and there's you know yep. there might be you know four other compartments that people can jump into but I you know I would imagine. Uh, you know, for instance, you'll be able to set a a level within your Uber or whatever service that you use that says, "Look, you know, I mean, here we are. We're in uh, on the edge of the CBD in Auckland, and you know, quite often if I've got a, a CBD meeting to to go to, it's ten minutes, you know, five ten minutes to to get where I need to go, but." takes me five minutes to park at each end and so on it's actually just as easy to take an uber and 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 so on so i'll i'll do that but in the future i imagine there'll be a little slider there that you might you know bump up if you've got a bit more time or if you're more concerned about the environment and and being efficient with with energy and road utilization so you could you know pull that down to say look if it's going to make 10 percent impact on the length of my journey an extra minute, then, then I then I don't care if the other people jump into yep. the car, so it might make one stop along along the way. Some people might say, look, I don't mind if it takes twice as long for me to get there, uh, and you might have a, a vehicle that stops three times and different people jump into different, you know, sections or, or compartments, but, you know, then you, you really push up the uh, the efficiency and smart usage of, of vehicles and road and, and uh, you know, electricity and so on.
1: If you, if you extrapolate all of this out and kind of, you know, really... Um, blue sky the whole thing there's a world coming where all of the vehicles are interconnected and all of the traffic control systems are interconnected and so if you're heading from downtown Auckland and need to get urgently to the airport there will be some way whereby you can expedite that journey probably in return for paying extra dollars that will make sure you get all the green lights or whatever it might be Um, and in return the drivers who are slightly inconvenienced may be credited in some way potential micro inconvenience that that affords them you know that I can see a world coming, you know, that's not two years down the track, but it might be 10 or it might be 20 years down the track where that kind of works. Right? Mm. You can move in
0: and out of you know different lanes on a yep. motorway that are moving faster. You pay a yep. premium to be in that lane. It's all automatically handled yep. by the computer. Just, Again you put your slider up and say I want to be there faster and I'm willing to pay algorithm. an extra 50% to get there yep. and uh, the algorithm works out. goes okay you just want the standard rates. So you're going in, yep. in the middle lane. You want to pay a little bit more. You'll be allowed into that lane and, and as you say it's just, just an algorithm. You might have it's your own lane if you pay
1: enough I remember reading this great story. It just reminded me actually of um, some, I don't know, apocryphal story, but some, I don't know, Russian diplomat or American diplomat or something who after they retired discovered that all of the lights don't all go green all the time so that your motorcade can just drive through and that all the plebs actually have to stop and wait for red <laughs> traffic lights because their entire working career they'd just been in cars that just sped through every intersection.
0: So, what a life. Yeah, exactly. What a life. Where do, where do we <laughs> sign up for that? Yeah. it's uh, that's terrible. Now... Oracle and uh, Google are um, fighting it out in court now. This one's been going on for uh, for <laughs> for quite a while since we we first we first heard about it. But I've just been following some of the some of the coverage in in recent days, and yeah, you know, this thing is is sounding more and more like that. Um, Google might be in for uh, for a spot of bother around their uh, their, their use of Java language within um, within Android. Yeah, I think this has been dragging, isn't it? Like, years, I mean, it's been going for years, 10 years, years, eight and,
1: years, or something—a yeah. a
0: long time. And and of course, you know, um, Sun, who uh, own Java, of course, they they've been part of Oracle now for uh, for for a good number yeah. of years. And uh, yeah, there's, there's been you know, quite a bit of interesting coverage online around this, and uh, I was reading some of this coverage in, um, on, on the Next Web, and uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of leaning in that direction that um, maybe Oracle have, have actually got a chance of, uh, of pulling this off and um, walking away with a bit, of, a bit of cash from Google.
1: Yeah, it could be interesting to watch. I know it's all just lawyers at dawn stuff really, isn't it? Just go on and on and on. It's funny, I hadn't thought about sun for a long time Jonathan Schwartz, there was a name you used to see a yeah, lot. Yeah. Don't you what have happened to Scott McNeely?
0: Not a not a name you hear either. No, yeah. he's probably sitting on yeah. a beach
1: somewhere laughing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well these guys have made some good good uh, good money along yeah. the way, haven't they? Might
1: be about to make some more.
0: Well and there's um and there's obviously a um, a bunch of lawyers that are uh, that are taking home some cash that's but, who's making the money you know w- what we've seen recently is as companies that are really starting to how do, how do you put it they're, they're they're not keen on this this sort of stuff continuing i mean microsoft and and google with their their you know deal recently uh you know in terms of uh, the the litigation and um so on between each other that they're going to be much friendlier going forward
1: yeah i no nobody i don 't think any large organization wants to spend all of their life in court I, The other thing that 's interesting with this too is that these cases that bubble up and make it to court and then play out over a long period of time are the are the tip of the tip of an iceberg you know there 's lots of interactions between all of these technology companies all the time you know whether it 's cross licensing of patent portfolios and all those other bits and pieces that actually works relatively seamlessly. you just never see it it 's when it all kind of goes off the rails a little bit that and it gets ugly you kind of see the ugly but you don't see the bits underneath that actually everyone acts like grown ups and all
0: seems to work okay so mm-hmm. the curious bit with most of these sort of you know lawsuits that tends to come out is they you know they have to go through this legal discovery process where basically one company gets to to see all of the confidential emails from a, from another firm that relate to the situation. So you know, in in this case, and it, it was highlighted in this article. Uh, Oracle were pointing to um, an email that uh, Andy Rubin, who of course is, is the uh, the creator of Android, received from uh, f- from a colleague, uh, stating that uh, the Google, Google founders, who then you know bought Android, Sergey Brin and uh, Larry Page, had asked for technical alternatives to Java, uh, and the response came back: "We've been over a bunch of these, and we think they all suck. We conclude <laughs> we need to negotiate a license for Java." Under the terms we need, so that sort of evidence that comes out yeah. comes out of email can can make things uh, pretty clear and yeah in in these varying cases when you get to uh, you get to see some of the emails, it can um, make a make a huge huge impact on you know what there would be otherwise so it's it's kind of curious what the future might hold around these these things. As maybe organisations secure their email in such a way that you can't get access to history and and, yeah. and and other things, right?
1: Well, I mean, there's a few things in there. Probably every major executive of every major tech company on the planet has got a story to tell around an email that turned up somewhere that shouldn't that embarrass them, right? You know. So mm. I remember when I joined Microsoft back in 1997, someone took me aside and they were going through all the stuff with the DOJ at the time, right? Yes. Don't write anything in an email that you wouldn't be happy to have published on the front page of a large um, international newspaper. I think the Wall Street Journal was the one they quoted. Don't be upset if someone seizes your laptop uh, to take all, uh, an image of it uh, at any stage. It's like, oh, this is an interesting introduction to the company. But I, I think the, the email thing is a, is a legal requirement. I, the company records, and I, you know, um, I think… Particularly in the U.S., right? Yeah, you, well, even you, you here. You can't just delete no, stuff. No, you just can't. You can't delete that stuff, right? Yeah, um, so that causes all sorts of issues. Um, particularly with high ego individuals sending emails that you know probably have language in them and say things that that, that they um, shouldn't say. I think it's just it's yeah one of those things, and it's all you know all of this is all people cherry picking bits of information out of context to presenting them in a certain light True. in order to sway the judge in the case, right? And it'll yeah. drag on forever, and yeah. some one day will write out a really really big check, and it'll all go away. That's what'll happen
0: but there's certainly some wisdom in in that in terms of what you put in writing uh you know these days you don't just put anything in writing and uh you know the world we're in i guess you you don't just say anything as well you you've got to you've got to think of things a little a little bit more cuz things get recorded and Hell tweeted yeah. and end up all over the place so yeah. uh you know it is it, it is a different world but there's some really good things about that uh too despite that it, you know it might it might create some <laughs> challenges for people but i think there's yeah, some pretty it, good
1: outcomes it's um I think that whole never write anything in anything that you wouldn't be happy to have on the front page of a newspaper is actually a really good rule of thumb. You know, I see emails occasionally for people that just contain things in them that aren't smart, you know. Mm. I remember that while I was at Microsoft towards the end of my time at Microsoft, so I left there in 2010, so it's probably 2008, 2009. There was an email thread bouncing back and forth internationally amongst a whole bunch of people. And I sent a response probably to 20 or 30 people, it wasn't a huge group of people, using an analogy of a rugby game. And I said, it's like if the All Blacks were playing, and I can't remember who the team was, Australia or South Africa, it was about, it was about great foes and, and, and it was all about, you know, sometimes the team's a, you know, it's a combative situation, but there's, a, there's an audience around them that are gaining something from it. Um, and I got an email back from one of our corporate lawyers in Redmond threatening me with all sorts of dire consequences for inflammatory emails. And I, I went through the email again and again and again until I realised that the term all blacks didn't mean the same thing in Redmond necessarily as it did <laughs> in Auckland. Um, it was in capitals, it was all, and I had to go back and explain to him what the situation was. He, going back to what was we saying at the beginning, actually failed the don't be a dick test and um, played the you shouldn't put that in an email kind of thing rather than going, oh, OK, now I get it. But I was suit- suitably chastened and um, it was just an eye opener for me that even sometimes something that's entirely benign can still be taken out of
0: context or offend, right? And it's it's a and there's not much you can do about that no. when people are idiots. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that that's a that's an <laughs> attitude thing. Yeah. Yes, not uh, not ideal. Now, in in the last uh, in the last few days, um, one of the technologies we heard about a little while is this thing called uh, called Hyperloop. Um, the, the the Hyperloop is, is this concept of a I guess it's sort of a futuristic version, you could say of. And I've never I've never uh, seen or experienced one of these, but I'm told in old organisations there used to be these tubes going around the place.
1: tubes, I've seen those. They had you them have in New Zealand when I was okay. an avionics engineer. Oh, oh wow.
0: And yeah. and uh, so communications and so on would bounce around from what office to office, building to building type uh, type thing? Uh yeah, we use no we use them for sending items. So you'd yep. um
1: you'd put a fill in a paper requisition form and you'd put it in a tube and it'd go all the way down to the stores, people, and then the thing that you requested would come back. And the two examples I had during my time there that were interesting was the time I ordered I think it was twenty rivets and it turned out that you ordered rivets by the pound, not by the individual one, and they turned up in this huge big bag of rivets. That oh, so sat- you got
0: 20 pounds rather yeah, than 20 they, rivets or something. They sat
1: there in this bag for about a week before I realised that it was my order. I remember walking past thinking, what are all those rivets doing there? Um, so they didn't come through the lamps and tube, they got dropped off. <laughs> uh, and the other one was when I requested this very expensive instrument, I think it was a 747 or a Seven three seven instrument and some bright spark and stores put it in the lamps and tubes and sent it out. it was thirty thousand dollars worth and oh. worth and arrived in pieces. No, um, that's but nuts. yeah, they go really really quick and they're actually really efficient. So the the, the hyperloop is effectively a maglev train operating in a vacuum tube and in the a, vacuums that in in an the, evacuated the, the key part that sort of just takes it to the it next all the level resistance isn't it? Out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> what is it, seven or eight hundred kilometers an hour? In a tube with no air in it, I, I don't know. it's,
0: and it's got to, it's got to be a, a pretty straight line to be able to uh, to be able to achieve those sorts of speeds and so on. Yeah, so they've got yeah. quite a few challenges, and there's certainly been some you know, varying coverage online over the last few days. And you know, one of them I read was, "Hey, this is a great idea. It's awesome, but the politics of being able to make that happen." are going to be too difficult in terms of getting access to the land because the talk is initially about linking up uh, Los Angeles to um, to San Francisco yeah, with, right. with, with one of these and uh, being a, a better experience than jumping on a plane.
1: I'll believe um, it when I see it. Yeah. I think it's one of the, yeah, it's it's theoretically interesting, um, but yeah we'll wait and see.
0: And so this uh, this footage is online anyway of the of the supposedly the Hyperloop's first public test. But the the whole sort of curious thing about it is there's a track and there's no tube. So <laughs> I, I don't get it. What did you think no, about no, this? No, no. So so I was exactly the same. Right? It looks like something
1: out of MythBusters, and it's been done before. Uh, you know, I think use, is it water they're using as a decelerator? It's just a Maglev hobby train setup. And no, I didn't get it either, to be perfectly frank.
0: Okay. No, I I wondered if it was just me. I was sort of... No, I think it's you and
1: about several million other
0: people. Yeah, I was just scratching my head on this one, but... Hey, somebody's throwing a little bit of money at this, so we, we, we'll see where it, uh, where, where it goes from here. And there are, of course, other people in other places that are, that are, that are working on this because I think all the technology's been open-sourced, has Yeah, hasn't it? Elon Musk, um, open-sourced it all. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the, one of the cool things that he, that he does. And, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. We've got a few people working on this, whether somebody will be able to make something work in, in some place in the world. I would like to think somebody will somewhere, But there might just be, you know, one of these that gets set up for uh, either a country trying to show off that they've got more money than anyone else and that they're the coolest place on the planet. And I can think of a few countries or a few locations where that sort of thing might happen. But in terms of it just, you know, becoming a a standard thing and for us to expect this to be taking place in, in New Zealand, you know, imagine... Being able to get from one end of the country to another, and uh, via Hyperloop, that would be very cool, but probably a, a, a million or a billion to one chance that it would actually happen. Yeah, and and foreseeable. This this you know. could
1: be the thing that fixes the the Auckland housing crisis, right? If you can move, if you can travel from, I don't know, Hamilton to downtown Auckland in twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, all of a sudden Hamilton becomes a suburb. There's something that's frightening for Hamiltonians, and all the housing crisis disappears. There you go, done. So if the Auckland, if the government invests, I don't know, a few billion dollars into a hyperloop, joining those things up, problem all goes. Everyone's happy. There you go. It's for John Key. There you
0: go. Yeah, just a suggestion. Right. Well, I hope somebody from the government's listening, <laughs> and um, you can work out how to finance how to finance this. Brett will give you a few more tips yeah, if needed. Not a problem. I'll draw um, a quick
1: sketch on the back of a Soviet. And...
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, no. Oh, it's good that we're here to solve uh, solve the countries and the world world's problems. It's got it, to right? think big, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now we heard recently in the la- in the I guess the last two or three weeks around law changes around becoming uh, a taxi driver, and then Uber just sort of going one whole uh, step further and just saying that we're going to basically bypass most of the the legal processes for somebody to be able to become a passenger driver. This seems to be causing one or two dramas out there but it's it's not unusual is it for Uber around the world to be pretty relaxed in terms of how they operate compared to how the you know how the law law exists in a particular region.
1: So I think today's podcast is brought to you by the phrase don't be a dick. <laughs> um, which is the thing that Uber fails regularly, all, all around the planet, from the CEO down. It, it, it's interesting. This story just reminded me of, and he's been a little bit quiet of late, the Uber CEO. But some of the stuff he's done and said in the past is just horrible, right? I don't think he's necessarily the most charming of corporate citizens. Mm, um, and, and Uber have a pretty strong record of uh, track record of riding roughshod over things like you know laws. Uh, and requirements. And so this is hardly surprising. And, and again, you know, I'm an I'm a Uber user. I, I use them a fair bit for the same thing as you, travelling around the city to get to meetings and things, which doesn't necessarily say that I condone 100% of their business practices. But uh, th- this situation here I thought was interesting because I think the New Zealand government has acted pretty well when it comes to uh, seeking, soliciting feedback about. The impact that Uber will have on the industry and changing legislation, etc., uh, and I think for Uber to come in and then kind of ride roughshod over some of that is not, didn't strike me as being um, particularly
0: smart or acting in a reciprocal fashion. Mm. So we, yeah, I mean the uh, the recent thing going back a couple of weeks was the um, New Zealand Transport Agency, yeah, it's the... Um, yeah urging the potential drivers. To ensure they understand their responsibilities under the law, which you know basically means actually there are some hoops to jump through. You don't just pay Uber twenty dollars and start driving a vehicle. And since then, um, we you know we've seen some some drivers that are uh, that have been that have been fined. So yeah, this could be um, this could be a bit nasty for those involved. Although if we look at what's happened in the rest of the world, and Uber don't confirm this. But we would believe that Uber are probably paying any fines and looking after the, oh, the drivers sure. concerned because this yeah. is part of their whole part of their whole business model. So, well yeah. my
1: view of Uber and, and is that the taxi thing is just a means to an end. I think Uber want to be the end termination point or the, the primary provider of autonomous vehicle services, which makes a lot more sense, right? So the real big picture is they will be the de facto go-to app for summoning a vehicle to arrive at your doorstep to take you somewhere. At the moment, humans are involved in driving those vehicles. One day they won't be involved. So this is just the messy stage. They've got to jump through to get to the bit where it's all much easier and you don't have humans and all that sort of thing. You don't need you know messy things like police checks and whatever it might be. So this is just a five or ten year pain period. They have to navigate their way through without, A, running out of cash and, and you know, that might happen. Um, or be annoying every government on the planet to the point where they get banned. Fine balancing act
0: Yeah, um, I mean it, it, it does seem as though they're they're succeeding reasonably well in more markets than anyone else um, yeah, definitely. Um, at, you know at getting that share getting that run up for where things are yeah they're getting market share i'm not in, sure they're getting friends in but, yeah. the in the future yeah. but they're, yeah they they they're causing a few problems around the place and you know some places they they they're pulling out after the laws go against them um, I, I mean actually drilling in and looking at all the things they're doing around the place is is pretty curious and I would say yes they will. I mean they've got this big valuation what is it over 50 billion US I think at uh, last time I heard it might have even been up to 60 billion yeah, US. They went to 60. Um but if you if you think about a world in which actually the cost of transport comes right down and it could be a quarter it could be you know less you know maybe yeah. a, a tenth of, of what it is now I mean it could be a very very low cost thing. You know, I would imagine once once those costs come down even if they've got a big share of that it might be harder for them to make the uh, the the really big uh, coin because it will just become very much a commodity service yep. and i'm sure there's room in the market for more than just uber i mean i guess their hope is that they can you know dominate in the same way as say you know trade me has here in new zealand yeah, this, ebay this has a in other grade, markets but right. there's so doubt this is if this they can, a if grade. they can just totally dominate but i i don't think that that 's necessarily going to be the case, I, you know I think the the market is big enough. you could have a num- you could have well more than one player, obviously, there is a benefit of being that big player, but you know we 've seen it in the u s where you 've got Lyft and Uber, and people will just chop and change between yeah. you know well who 's got the best prices today and that that 's a big that 's a big part of it, so you know they have to uh, basically keep dropping their uh, their prices down and so you know, whoever's got the best technology on a given day can run the service a little bit a little bit better, a little bit faster, a yeah. little bit cheaper. And so, you know, although they're up there with a, a reasonably sizable, well, a very sizable business right now, well, this, th- I don't th- think it's guaranteed long term.
1: No, it's not. And, and again, I think the whole thing, if you extrapolate it out, particularly if you extrapolate it exponentially, because that's the the way in which this technology stuff is changing, this makes a lot more sense economically when there aren't humans involved in driving the taxis, Right. Yeah, there'll be a point at which they can't flatten the, or lower the pricing any further because of minimum wage requirements or whatever it might be you know it's a race to zero or you know a, a point at which they can't make the charges any less until the day the driver goes away at which stage then it all it's game on again and and you're right there'll always be other players in the market, but you know it's um I remember meeting and you used trade me as an example. I remember meeting the trade me guys years back, early 2000s probably it was it was a couple of years before they um sold. And one of them said to me, we were talking about their dominant position in the market, and one of them said to me, do you know how many other auction sites there are in New Zealand? At the time there were 22, but there was one really big one, and then there were 21 other really small auction sites, right? And it could be the same, a similar sort of thing. It's all about land grab and maintaining that real estate footprint for as long as possible. As the market changes, the technology drives the market change underneath
0: mm. it. And hence, I guess, why Uber are you know, apparently putting in... Is it I'm not sure if it's their, what they're investing into China or whether it's what they're losing in China to try and uh, get that land grab over there but I saw a billion dollar a year figure yeah. mentioned there for for uber and they're at this stage they're the they're the minor player yeah so yeah they're 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 pretty keen in uh, in succeeding in these markets
1: there's a relatively if you take the you know the the size of uber and how hard it is to compete against them it, there's a relatively low barrier to entry to go and you know be a player in that market it, I remember someone telling me a few years back it would cost Three million dollars to build the Uber platform, from you know beginning to end, and it might be five or it might be ten or it might be two million. In the overall scheme of things, the amount of money is relatively small. The trick is getting there and then um, having the cash to burn for long enough that you grow some market share, and that's what Uber have. They can play the cash game, right? They can just burn anyone else out of the market. You'd be a brave investor to invest in the number three, four, or five Uber competitor. Maybe number two, yeah. maybe number three, but after that, you'd be
0: mad. And and that's why I you know I'm just amused by all these taxi companies that have a little dabble at a little product <laughs> or you know those the, the 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 local ones that have a little go but you know don't have the investment to to do it at any sort of scale because it's. it's it's too hard, you've got, to, you've got to have a big scale and you've got to have a big um, wallet or access to, to a lot of funds to make something like this really really work. The most interesting
1: thing I think with Uber was that it was, it was a, until they arrived here in New Zealand, what, I think five or six years after Uber founded in the States. So New Zealand taxi companies had five or six years to watch this relatively quick-moving, but five or six years is five or six years. Quick-moving training, nothing. And then it arrived and then it was oh my God now we need to do something you know it was just incredible they you know and and I, what fascinates me with that was the taxi company mindset was always it's all about regulation it's all about licenses it's all about being exactly the same as it you know it will be the same in 10 years as it was for the last 10 years this is our industry this is how it works and someone came from left field over a period of five or six years and, and rained on their parade in a big way right you know, that's the, this whole disruption thing in play. It's a classic example of it. It's not like it was unsignaled or unexpected. Um, they just thought that they were in this really strong position, and it turned out no, they weren't.
0: No, no. And, and i mean it's just the nature of the world that we live in exactly. today that's that's now that's our new normal isn't it yep now one one other uh, story and, and i guess there's a there's a there's a little bit of a, a, a crossover or, or some people might think that where it's it's come through i think the telegraph in the uk have been reporting and, and it's now been you know picked up elsewhere off i think the their uh, their story and of course this isn't all closed up and and, and confirmed yet but they're saying that google is facing some record bra- uh, breaking uh, fines in the eu for supposed abuse of their web search uh, monopoly <laughs> perish the thought now i mean these things are quite interesting i, I mean without having ever been deep, deeply involved in the in the innards of a of a big beast like google or microsoft or intel who have all been slapped by the eu in one one direction or another and of course you know google stuff has been going on for a long time but it's being suggested that this fine is likely to be in the region of of 3 billion euros and that's um it's kind of pretty nuts in terms of uh, in terms of a figure but uh, the eu have got themselves set up so if somebody you know breaks yep. their rules and I, and I, and i don't know you know how clear cut these uh, these rules and and these lines are but that they can um uh, they can fine them up to uh, you know up to you know ten ten percent of the uh, is it the earnings of the, um, yeah, of, the of the firm uh, involved yep. so that's um, that's big bucks.
1: I, yeah, this I think this is one of those big geopolitical long term things, right? If you notice anything interesting about those three companies, they're all headquartered in the US. That's they're the all bit doing that is always curious to me. Yeah, that, that, that they're all doing things. You know, what's the big European search engine? I can't think of one. What's the really big European software company? struggling um what's the big european chip manufacturer uh, same same sort of thing uh, it, it's you know I, I just think it's one of those two or three or four hundred year old wars that's been fought in the background that everyone's kind of forgotten about there's no guns involved but there's money and you know lawyers at dawn same, it's a way, same another thing.
0: way of taking tax
1: yeah, yeah it is and, and i remember in fact i i'm sure if i could be bothered i digging back through i could dig you up an email from 10 years ago that that I have flicked a few people saying that Google will go through the same thing Microsoft did, right? It's just one of those it's the right of passage of being a really big American tech company. Eventually at some stage you find yourself in front of a you know, an EU court and writing out a cheque that's got a you know, a very large number of zeros on the end. It's just almost a parcel of playing that game. One mm-hmm. of those things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you can be right, you can be technically right. But but you know, it doesn't really matter. But you know, it's one that, yeah. Say am I'm sure. I'm sure they've already written it down in their tax thing and it's like, oh damn, you know, but they'll get the checkbook out, the one that, the really long one so you can fit all the zeros on it. Larry or Sergey or write it and hand it over and it'll all be done and you want to go back to, you know, back to where things were.
0: Well, and in, and in the scheme of it, these things don't tend to have a big impact, do they? Um, it's just no. oh yeah we we will make a few changes and they've got enough money that uh, you know really it gets a, it gets a few headlines yes it, it makes a difference to their, their overall value but yeah. on a percentage basis uh, even a three billion dollar fine isn't the, going to uh, isn't going to have a have the, a massive impact
1: the money I mean and so speaking as someone that was at Microsoft in the years when they were spending a fair bit of time in the courtroom with the DOJ yeah I, I don't think the money really makes that big an impact you know when, when you've got billions and billions in the bank having to going back to the pizza thing, you know, giving a government the equivalent of a you know, maybe it might be like a pizza dinner for everyone amount of money <laughs> but it's not going to kill you, that's not the end of it. The thing that I think does make it hard and certainly in Microsoft's cases, um I think they spent the better part of ten years with DOJ people on site at Redmond and it, it's it's not like you're doing bad things and all of a sudden you've got to stop doing bad things. It's more like it kind of cramps your style. And you've got to watch your tone and manner in your emails. You've got to there's a whole lot of things that, that change. You know, that, that probably not probably that does have a far more substantial impact. I mean look what it did Steve Barmer, right? You know, prior to all of that stuff happening versus post. He was a different guy publicly, he couldn't say the same sort of things he'd been saying. That's a lot more style cramping than having to write a check out for three billion US mm. dollars.
0: I mean that and a whole bunch of other things Ended up having a, I would say, ended up having a good impact on on Microsoft. Yeah, I think it did too. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Microsoft is such a, you know, such a different business today than than what they yeah. were. All right. Well, I think that uh, that wraps us up for this week, uh, Brett. So cool. thanks very much for coming along. Thank you very much for having me again. Now, where do people track you down on online in the social media world, etc.?
1: I guess the easiest thing is probably just Twitter. So I'm at Brett Roberts, which is quite handy because that's my name and yeah, find me on Twitter and start a conversation, have an argument, whatever it might be. Just don't send me 2,000 spam messages, please, Sky. Thank you
0: yeah that was rather interesting uh, today wasn't it stupid I think no, yeah. interesting stupid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what people will do with social media sometimes some pretty dumb stuff yeah incredible really yeah yeah, yeah. try and get a bit of attention. they got some attention though yeah the right sort of attention yeah that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right but uh, that's that's the nature of things. Um, anybody who would like to track me down uh, you can track me down at Paul Spain on Twitter. I'm Paul Spain on Facebook as well whatever whatever channel that you're happy with or linkedin uh, feel free to hit me yeah, up. Yeah, linkedin
1: that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or you can visit us uh, podcasts.co.nz. Uh we have a new uh, foodie podcast that will be launching I think next week. So uh so that's coming up pretty soon as well. So Anybody out there that's interested in food, yeah, you might actually enjoy this one. Some, some pretty good stories with some, uh, some interesting people from the, the, world of, the world of food, but we'll fill in a few more details on, uh, on that once, uh, once that one actually starts being available. So thanks everyone for listening in and we'll catch you back next week. Same time, same bat channel. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.